0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. I'm Bob Kaler. My co-host, Stephanie Greenwald, is joining me via Zoom, clearly in her office, unless you keep your robes at home right?
1: No, I actually, you're right. I am in my office. Uh, I don't, I don't wear my robes at home. And honestly, right now I don't even wear my robes at church. So (laughs) I don't even know why they're hanging there.
0: (laughs) I sometimes just put mine on to walk around and and think, you know, someday, actually we're, we're starting back to worship here. This is going to air after, but we're starting back early in, in February. With limited in-person worship. So I'm looking forward to not speaking to empty chairs
1: uh, here in the
0: next couple of weeks.
1: Oh, the things that we have done in 2020 and 2021, right? Well, as I've said to many
0: people, no one knew we'd all become televangelists (laughs) and I I don't have the hair for it or the the voice or any of that for it. So it's been quite the challenge to do that and doing things from here in my in my basement office at home, but we are excited today because we're talking about uh, youth and young adult ministry. We've been taking these first few episodes of season two to talk through some of the task forces that the WCA put together back in 2019
1: and have been doing some great work. So Stephanie, introduce our guests for today. Yes, I am so excited to have these two folks with us. First, we have Steve Rankin, who is retired as the chaplain at Southern Methodist University. And so Steve, we're glad to have you here today. How are you?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
1: Good. We're so glad to have you. And then we've got Callie Smith, who's the youth director at Bulverde UMC in San Antonio. Oh, Callie, I I have to say, I love San Antonio. What a great place to be serving. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. It's an honor to be here joining the podcast. Yeah, good. We're so glad to have you as well. So I'd love for our listeners just to hear a little bit about you guys. Maybe your call to ministry, how you got to be serving where you are, what you're doing now. So Steve, let's start with you.
2: Okay, well, I'm an old man, so I'll have to keep this story short <laughs> i am I am a cradle Methodist. Um, my father entered the ministry as a supply pastor preacher, and then went through the course of study uh, and so i I basically grew up a preacher's kid uh, and then eventually heard the call myself, didn't really want to hear that call, but I did and and succumbed and yielded and went to seminary. we spent my wife and I spent some time in Italy in a cross-cultural congregation. Uh, came back, pastored Methodist churches, did uh, did extra graduate school work, and wound up teaching in college and doing campus ministry work. And that's really, if if we talk about calling, uh, the strength of that call was was very powerful when when I settled into college work, which wasn't really on my radar at all, but that it has become quite a passion for me. And so I spent uh, 25 years in higher education and the last 11 of it, I was chaplain at Southern Methodist University.
1: Wow, it's fantastic. It it really is such a special calling to work with that age group because it's such a formidable time in people's lives. I, my senior pastor that I uh, work with, he started his ministry out really in campus ministry as well. And it's fun to hear his stories about the life-changing things, that, the powerful things that God does in people's lives. So thanks for doing that. So Callie, tell us a little bit about youth ministry in San Antonio. How long have you been there? And tell us about your calling. Yeah, so I have
3: been in San Antonio for about five years now, but I grew up in Michigan. I'm Michigander at heart. And then uh, the Lord started calling me into youth ministry when I was in middle school myself. So I had just started youth group, didn't really know what it was, but God said, you're going to lead this one day. And so then uh, by the time I got in high school, he placed a lot more opportunities in my life for leadership and mentors who really equipped me for that calling and encouraged me. And so I went to Asbury University. Um, And then I graduated with my bachelor's degree in youth ministry and then moved to San Antonio shortly after that and got my master's degree in youth ministry um, and work full-time now at Boulevard UMC.
1: Wow. That's fantastic.
0: It's an exciting time, and it's an exciting time as we look toward the creation of a new traditional Methodist denomination, and youth and young adult ministry, clearly a major part of that launch, and thinking about that, this task force has done some tremendous work on putting together a plan for that, and you all covered a wide range, because when you talk about youth and young adult ministry, that goes from really kind of middle school all the way through those who are post-college or career. Um, It depends on where you cut off young adult. I think denominationally we cut it off at like 40, but I think there's probably a a, a younger age there. And so you, you all put together a report focused in three different areas, which we want to kind of talk about today. You talked about youth ministry, you talked about college campus ministry, and then young adults. And you begin by saying that your team wanted to impart a sense of urgency regarding ministries to these particular age groups in the new denomination, while not repeating the mistakes of the past. So what is the reason for that urgency, and what needs to change in ministry with young people in the 21st century? I mean, obviously, a lot of us have experiences of being in youth group even when we were kids. And and I'll bet even as, as young as Callie is, my guess is youth ministry has changed a lot even since you were a youth. So as this rapidly changing thing is happening, what's the urgency and what needs to change?
2: So one of the commonalities is that everybody, most everybody has a smartphone now, but smartphone technology is particularly challenging, I think, for younger people who are, who are coming into figuring out who they are and so all these digital images and the constant comparing and the competition online for likes and hits and things like that I I just think uh, the environment in which young people are growing up these days is particularly challenging it, it's affected all of us of course uh, there's you've probably heard the phrase Facebook professional right everybody's gonna they've got to look a certain way and Facebook will be the way that they present themselves to the world. So that's one thing I would say to give uh, uh, weight to that sense of urgency. I wanna say one other thing. Uh, and, and that is that most of the young people we have in our churches have grown up through the public school system. And I, I wanna walk a careful line here. My kids all went to public school. We appreciate the public school system very much. Uh, in the small town where we were living at the time, um, you know, we knew a lot of the teachers because they were in church with us. So these public schools often have very dedicated Christian school teachers. And yet the environment, if you think about the cumulative impact of the environment, kids who go to public school, even with good Christian teachers, with all the limitations about references to religion, kids spend 40, 50 hours a week, especially high school kids, in an environment in which God is never mentioned and in which religion is only mentioned rarely. And so our, our young people, and I realized this with my own kids, our young people are formed, are shaped to see the world just by virtue of all the time they spend learning in that, in that environment, what, what seems to be important. So God really doesn't do much. And if you if you remember references, they were so hot a few years ago when we talked about moralistic therapeutic deism. That term has you know it's not in vogue as much anymore. But what it's communicating is is real. And so, uh, when you think about how much time students spend in that situation, environment, climate, compared to the amount of time they spend in youth group and church activities. Even the best youth experiences, uh, just, just the weight of time spent in both places, we need to be thinking about what it's doing to our kids, how they learn to think about certain uh, relationships, situations, ideas, and all that. And what they come to care about uh, is, is very much shaped by these environments. And so w- this, this what I'm trying to convey here is a lot more challenging than we realize because we're so used to the lay of the land, shall I say.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to share some research from the Youth Becoming Leaders program. Um, I sit on the advisory board for them, and Dr. Brian Hall at Asbury is one of the leaders in that. And, and they've been looking at some changes, especially this, this past year in Gen Z and the way that youth ministry is working in the church. And so they've been talking about how Gen Z doesn't place their trust in authority and institutions, and they are unwilling to trust people quickly, if at all. And so for us to be able to earn their trust, we have to be really honest and genuine and live with integrity and really live out these morals that we're saying we believe in. And it's also really important to remember that uh, I think the statistic is about half of the students in our youth ministries will not return to church after high school. And that should make people of all ages in the church pause and rethink how we're doing youth ministry and how we're ministering to young people And one of the major factors in youth continuing with church past high school is adults in their lives, Christian mentors who are shaping them. And so for us to be able to partner with young people, they're really capable and creative. Gen Z is ready for a challenge. And so we should be able, especially in this time when everything is changing, the way we do everything at church is changing with the pandemic they're really capable and creative when it comes to technology or new th- ways of thinking. And so we should really partner with our young people in the church in leadership. Mm-hmm.
1: I love that idea too, of more of an intergenerational Uh, ministry, which I think is just, it's beneficial to people of all ages, you know, not just the youth and not just the people who are a little bit older or more experienced. So I think that's really, really positive. So as we kind of piggyback on this and what Steve was saying too, about the amount of time that, that students and youth spend in situations where really the worldview is not totally Christian, and then they have this minimal amount of time spent in youth ministry. Um, tell us a little bit about the idea of uh, focusing on catechesis, which honestly, I just think is a fun word to say, but <laughs> I know that not everybody knows what that means. So it's really the training in our theology and our doctrine. Since we only get a little bit of time, and I'm thinking specifically of people in youth ministry, because Callie, I want you to address this, this question. Um How are you all proposing that we address catechesis other than just confirmation? You know, we've done confirmation in United Methodist churches for a very long time, and that seems to be our go-to for teaching students. But as we've seen, things are changing. We may have to think about things a little differently. So Callie, what do you say to that?
3: Yeah, I think confirmation is really important, and we use the absolute basics of the Christian faith as our curriculum, which I know this podcast has promoted before. We love it. But confirmation and catechesis, it's not just making some intellectual belief statements at one time in your life. This is continual grounding in scripture and being guided by the Holy Spirit throughout your whole life. And so If I could share one of my students, she gave me permission to tell you her name and share some of her wisdom. Rebecca, this year, she's been sitting on some of our youth ministry leadership teams coming to our volunteer meetings, evaluating how things are going at our church. And she shared that she really appreciates that we tackle hard topics, but we ground them in scripture. And as she was leading with some of our middle school students, she shared with them that this is a time in her life where she's evaluating what she has believed growing up to see if that's going to shape her life decisions moving forward. And she realized that a lot of her beliefs are not actually grounded in scripture, but a full abundant life comes from grounding it in scripture and relationship with the Lord and that she's going to have the best kind of life. If she does that, even if it's not the popular opinion of those around her. So I think that's important for all ages in the church. Youth ministry, for example, I have my students as my main focus with middle and high school students, but they have parents, they have younger siblings, they have grandparents and extended families. Uh, my volunteer base has young adults parents, older adults in our church. And so even just looking at one age group ministry, you still have all ages represented. And so it's important for our church leaders to partner together in that catechesis. We need to talk about what discipleship looks like across all the age groups in the
1: church. Fantastic. I love, I love hearing this, especially this, um, personal testimony from Rebecca. What a cool, what a very cool thing. So Steve, anything that you would add to that idea of catechesis?
2: Yes, I think, uh, I think we need to begin thinking of the word as ongoing formation. It would be instructive for people in the Wesleyan tradition, United Methodist Methodists, um, to look at the Catholic catechism. It's about, you know, it's about that thick. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's really meant to be a resource to return to again and again and again. So thinking about catechesis as something ongoing and for, for us to do the kind of work that Callie, uh, Needs for for youth ministry. Adults need to understand we are all under catechized, all of us, and we, we've got some work to do. So that's one side of the picture, and the the other side of the picture seems maybe like it doesn't go with the first side. But I would I would also say relationships are are really really critical, and that's what Callie has already said but they are, they are critical. So for older Christians to be able to share their faith well means they've got to think about their faith. And then they have to be willing to share transparently, which means we don't have all the answers. We have some answers and we have some experience. We have wisdom to share and we want to do that, but it's in the context of a relationship where we recognize the need for vulnerability And transparency. And and that means if if these things are going to happen, it means we're all going to have to be willing to spend more time just being in relationship Mm -hmm. and less time programming people's lives. And so the new denomination, I I encourage people to think about how do we not over-program?
0: And I I do want to mention that we have a, a catechism task force for the WCA that's working on Developing an overall catechism for the church that can be used for youth and adults, so everybody's kind of on the same page we, We've said there needs to be a lot of remedial work because we've we've really under catechized in United Methodism, and there needs to be a, an overall kind of focus so that everybody's kind of using the same language and in fact, teaching the same language. I mean, we had a conversation about whether we could even use the word catechesis because people don't know what that means. Well, th- that's something we gotta correct in and of itself. And and not only catechizing those who are part of those ministries, but also those who are leading those ministries. And one of the things that really jumped out at me as a former youth worker, I did it for 12 years before I, uh, I became a, a solo pastor, was that, uh, the proposed educational requirements for those who who are going into into youth ministry that that leaped off the or leapt off the page for me i think that's the proper past tense but it leapt off the page to me because when i became a youth minister i was still i was still a, an officer an infantry officer in the national guard and i i got this job as a part-time youth director at a church where the youth group was mostly seventh grade boys. And I think I got the job primarily because the senior pastor figured if nothing else, things will be in order. And And I had no idea what I was getting into. I went to the Christian bookstore when that was still a thing. And I bought every book on youth ministry off the shelves back in the days of, of Jim Burns and some of those pioneers of kind of the the... 90s way of doing youth ministry and i had no training whatsoever and there was none to be had i mean people were kind of like just here's some curriculum have at it i remember the senior pastor sliding the confirmation stuff across the table and saying here it is and i said well i i'm a pca presbyterian i was completely in a different place he's like you're a smart guy you'll figure it out go go make it make it happen but you're proposing something much different than that. There are significant educational requirements, youth ministry certification for professional youth workers and training for volunteers. Cause in a lot of smaller churches, these are gonna be people who are just have a heart for kids and are gonna step up and do this. So no more handing someone a curriculum and saying, have at it. Why is this so important for the new Methodism? Steve, let's start with you.
2: Goes back to the 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 value of relationships and community. That honestly, we learn. Pick pick almost any field. We learn a lot about a skill through relationships. Um, this goes back to the old kind of Aristotelian understanding of of uh, teaching and learning. And we've so emphasized in our culture that technical aspect. Give somebody the curriculum you know, a half a day's training to develop certain skills and that covers it. That doesn't cover it at all. And so getting the mindset that we actually learn through relationships. I learned, I learned how to be around horses and handle horses by watching my dad be around horses and handle horses. And he didn't just communicate to me technique. What he communicated to me was love for the animal, for the subject. Our love for Christ is communicated through relationship that comes with content, but it's got to be wrapped in relationships. So uh, so when we talk about training and educational requirements, it should be grounded in the need for uh, just this awareness of how this happens through relationships.
0: So Callie, you, you have a professional, uh, some professional training in youth ministry through your undergrad and through your graduate work. What are some of those requirements? What are some of those things that you all talked about in terms of what youth workers really need to know when they are getting this kind of training for working with kids?
3: Whether youth ministers are ordained or not, they're still in a pastoral role in young people's lives and families' lives. And so it's important to have uh, biblical training and then also some practical training to be able to study youth culture understand how to apply scripture in the context that students are in and so a lot of what we've done with our discussions and what we wrote up as our task force report was allowing youth ministers the opportunity to try out the position i know like you said bob your example you kind of get thrown into the role often but allowing youth ministers to try the job decide if it's a good fit for them and also for local church leaders to decide if that Youth minister is really called and gifted for youth ministry. But then if it is a good fit and that calling is really there to provide opportunities for further education, and that could lead to seminary or that could lead to just some certification classes at first, but requirements for that continuing education to happen. I think we're seeing a lot of the issues in the United Methodist Church today coming from people of all ages not having a good understanding of scripture or some of that catechesis that we've been talking about. So that's important for church leadership for any age group to then teach the next age group as well.
1: And I think it's so important that, um, that we require some of those certifications or furthering of their education because it just says we value this. And I think saying that to uh, our youth leaders is an important thing. Um, because the people that they are shepherding are truly, truly important. So I I think that's really wonderful. Okay, so now that we have spent some great time on middle school-aged students, high school students, let's move our focus to uh, college campuses. And the United Methodist Church has really prided itself on its Oklahoma Wesley Foundations, which are the uh, United Methodist presence on college campuses throughout different conferences. But we've also seen... like. Like with anything, uh, in order to be effective, this has to change and grow over time. And like with a lot of things in the United Methodist Church, I'm not sure we've done a stellar job of allowing that to uh, progress the way that it should. So tell us the ideas from the task force report about how we are going to uh, address helping college students grow in their faith. And Steve, I'll start with you.
2: Okay. Uh Okay. well, the old Wesley Foundation model, in case some of the hearers aren't aren't that familiar with it, is we 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 thought of the Wesley Foundation as kind of the home away from home for Methodist kids. And that obviously assumes a pretty strong Methodist identity. and then the the Wesley Foundation director would, you know, would be on campus and go around and meet, meet Methodist kids. You get the list of Methodist kids names from the, the appropriate authority on campus and, and kind of go from there. Well, we just don't have that anymore. We don't have that kind of denominational identity or loyalty uh, and college students are really busy. So campus ministers are constantly fighting for little shreds of time that students will give them. So, uh, so for starters, we just have to go back and say, okay, it's all different now from what it used to be. What are we going to do? And uh, a couple of things that the task force talked about uh, is looking around at other uh, national campus ministries and some of their models for for doing campus ministry. Uh, and one of those models is Reformed University Fellowship and how they do it. And so, they uh, that model is to connect the campus ministry or to a local congregation not necessarily on the staff of that congregation but there's a there's a there's a strong connection to a local congregation and so that campus minister operates from a base without having a building on or near campus or even an office on or near campus the way the Wesley Foundation house often is thought of and so so uh, s- switching that orientation uh, and then the other thing that we're suggesting is that campus ministries in the new well, actually, I need to say two more things, excuse me in the in the new in the new denomination, it it's worth our time to think about campus ministries as a new church start. so you know, collaborating across uh, interest areas there and thinking about college ministry that way. And the other thing we talked about a lot is the likelihood is in the new denomination, there won't be that many of the current Wesley Foundations or campus ministries come over to the new denomination. So thinking very strategically where are the key campuses that we need to start right away with developing these new campus ministries? And then we could branch out from there uh, into some other areas. But starting there, right out, of the, right out of the bat, off the bat, so to speak, it will be very important.
1: Callie, tell us what you're thinking about this as well in terms of working with students, you know, as you work all the way up with high school seniors and you see them transition into that 50% stay and 50% leave the church. uh, Tell us your view on campus ministry as well.
3: The connection with a local church community is really important. Like we've mentioned leadership for middle and high school students in the church at the time that they're still teenagers is a major factor in them sticking with church community as they grow up. And so when they're in youth group, a lot of the time they're really separated from the rest of the church body. And then if they go to college, even if they participate in a college ministry, that's often separated from a local church. So once they finish college, it's hard to expect them to know how to plug in to a local church body. And so having college ministries that can partner with local churches in that area and get students plugged in is so crucial. I know for me, that was a major factor in me continuing with youth ministry, the local church that I plugged into um, Great Commission Fellowship in Wilmore was where I did my youth ministry internship and learned from the youth ministry leaders and senior pastor at that church who really commissioned me as I left the state and moved to Texas. And we still visit them every time we go to Kentucky. And so having that kind of church community and being a leader in the church when you're youth, when you're young adults, will lead to being a leader in the church as you continue.
0: So coming out of college or for many young adults who are increasingly going straight into the workforce that's the other aspect of of the report talking about young adult ministry kind of post college up to that age of 35 or or those who are who are career oriented this is the group that I know as a pastor we have the hardest time reaching uh, there are always programs for youth we do connect with college students but after college, and as Callie said earlier, that there's that's a place where you know it used to be that you could sort of count on uh, a kid graduating from college, maybe being outside the church for a period of time. Once they had kids, then they would come back. And everybody said, "Oh, when they have kids, they'll come back." But that's not necessarily the case anymore. So, what kind of strategies can we develop? And I'm I'm listening to this not only as thinking about denominationally, but thinking about in my own congregation. So we live in a kind of bedroom community that's, that's kind of expensive. And so a lot of young adults move away. So we, we have a gap just in the population there. How are churches uh, going to reach that particular uh, stage in life in the new denomination? What kind of things did you all talk about? Steve, let's start with you
2: okay well this this particular category was difficult for us honestly uh the we broke the task force into subgroups, and the the team that worked with this particular topic had a um, a focus group of young adults who fit this category, so these are these are, you know, they're out of college professionals, never went to college, uh, and are in the workforce, military, all kinds of different um, circumstances, and yet there are some common characteristics related to the to emerging adulthood. People are hearing that term more and more. So the interesting thing about it is that if I if I turn eighteen, I graduate from high school, I go into the into the workforce not to college i still have some of the same characteristics as the college student who graduates and goes into a professional profession so that's a, that's an interesting thing right there i think i think the first thing churches need to do is read some material on emerging adulthood part of the part of the problem is that people think young people are just not that interested in settling down and you know we get this kind of prejudicial attitude about them and that's really not the case uh uh there you know there are there are nuances to that picture that churches need to know about that would be very helpful i would say on a more practical side for churches to to realize this is going to be hard work it's going to take time again relationships we can't say relationships enough it's going to take time to build relationships which means finding out where they are and 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 what they do and then earning their trust uh we're not just going to march in and you know develop a relationship right away. So I think churches could could figure out where are the apartment complexes, where are these young adults living, because uh, often it is in apartment complexes and places like that. Um, you know where do they go? What are they doing? And then some strategic thinking about if we're not just naturally going to those places already, how do we find a way to have interactions with college, with uh, with young adults like that, knowing that they're a little bit outside the normal orbit of our community and our activities. So, some strategic thinking about where they are, what they do, and then how we how we uh, make the network develop the relationships with them is where it would have to start. But we didn't, to be honest with you in our in our task force, we we sort of got stuck on some really key kind of existential questions that young adults have. And so we didn't get to the point of doing a lot of strategic thinking about what churches should do. That's that's work still to be done.
1: Callie, I'd be curious on your perspective on this as a young adult. What what are your thoughts? I want
3: churches to be more intentional in reaching out to my age group and whether that's you know single young adults or I'm married. I've been married for about six years, but we don't have children yet. And so we don't count in that young families age group yet, but I think that young families age group as young adults also needs um, intentional reaching out because even though you may not be in a college town, there are still young adults in your church's reach. And so think about even to the examples that you give in your sermons, are they all for older adults or for parents? because there are going to be people listening who need the example for them. So just really consider who your audience is, get to know some of the young adults in your area, listen to them. They definitely want to be part of the church and the leadership and part of the conversation. So see what's going on in their lives and, and how you can connect with them as a church.
1: Okay, as, as one final question, I'm going to touch on something that, um, is truly on the hearts and minds of probably most everyone listening as we move towards the split of the church and the start of a new denomination. Uh, so I just, I want to throw this out to both of you, Steve, I'll start with you on it. Um, so we know that youth and young adult ministry is greatly impacted by the LGBTQ plus community. And even as uh, I look at my teenage girls that I that I have, my two daughters, they are very desensitized to this issue as uh, they see people displaying this type of uh, interaction with same gender relationships at the schools that they attend. And so, and I know from talking to my girls that when you see those types of things, you're desensitized to it on a regular basis, that then you truly have to remind yourself of the traditional Christian sexual ethic. And as we move towards the start of a new denomination, tell us your thoughts and the task force's thoughts on how to really help students, college students, young adults to maintain that biblical faithfulness and the traditional uh, Christian sexual ethics. So Steve, tell us about that.
2: Well, this is probably, this may be the most difficult issue uh, in terms of relationship interaction with the wider culture that the church will face and for some time. And, And so we need to realize we're in this for the long haul. That's one thing I'd say, just let's, let's bear down and, and persevere, right? Let's not grow weary in well-doing. And we're gonna have to be a little bit courageous and humble at the same time. Um, so, so I think a, a congregation who wants to tackle this and all of us should, we, we have to practice the character development to be ready to have the conversation. That's one thing I would say. The other thing I would say is that it will take work. If we want to present a biblical viewpoint, we're going to have to do some background work and think about some other issues that are not directly tied to particular Bible passages. There's a big context that we have to think about. We're going to have to get into some of those wider issues and do some of our homework, and I don't see any way of avoiding it. So it's going to take learning what the scriptures say, and then thinking about some of these other issues that impinge upon how we understand scripture.
1: Mm -hmm. So true. Callie, what about you?
3: Yeah, I think as a church, we need to help our students understand that if we disagree, That doesn't mean that we're blocking each other out of our lives. We see cancel culture do that so often that when you are in an argument about something, that means that you just have to remove someone completely for your life. And I think a lot of students who are struggling with these questions, maybe of their own sexuality, or they see friends and family members who are going through this, They don't want the church to just remove them from their community. Mm -hmm. And so we need to help them understand that we want them to be part of the community. And we also need to help them understand the definition of our identity, because so much of sexuality has gotten tied with identity and they're not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that God has so much more for our lives than just that piece of sexuality, but we're holistic beings. Everything that we do and think and say connects and it matters. And God is concerned about all of those areas of our lives. So as the church, we should be too. Mm-hmm.
1: So we just want to say a word of thanks to both of you for taking the time to be with us today, but also for your wealth of wisdom that you have shared, and most of all, for the time and energy that you put into the task force report and helping to lay a great foundation for a new denomination. Thanks so much for being with us today.
3: Thanks for having us, Bob, Stephanie. I really appreciate all the work that you're doing on this podcast. I've learned a lot from it, so I'm excited to see where it continues this year. Mm
2: Ditto. Thank you very much, and uh, we're, we're glad to help.
0: I know there are a lot of pastors and youth directors and campus ministers out there who are looking forward to having some tools for navigating forward, and the task force report certainly gives a lot of hope and a lot of guidance on that. So if people want to access the report, what's the best way for them to do that? Steve, you're the chair, so can they contact you?
2: I would be glad for them to contact me via email. So can I give you the email address?
0: Absolutely. We'll put it in the show notes as well.
2: Okay. It's Stephen with a P-H, Stephen, at spiritualmaturityproject.org. That's all one word. I know it's long. Spiritualmaturityproject.org. And we did submit the report to the WCA Governing Council. So if they wanted to check with uh, the with home office, they could probably get it that way. But I'm very happy to talk with anyone who wants to talk about these topics.
0: And you can also email us at podcast at wesleyandcovenant.org. Uh, we have access to that as well. And Callie, I know that there are going to be youth pastors out there who want to connect with you to talk more about this because... They're in the trenches. They want to see work with someone who's in the trenches. How can people get a hold of you?
3: Yeah, I would love to talk with you, whether you're a youth minister or a youth or a senior pastor learning how to do youth ministry. And so you can contact me by email at Callie K. Smith at gmail.com. It's C A L E I G H K A Y S M I T H at
0: gmail.com. And we'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. We do wanna thank you both for joining us and we wanna remind all of you that we're continuing this series of episodes on the task force reports and you can find a lot of information on the WCA website at wesleyandcovenant.org. And if you look there in the resource section, you can find a lot of the material we're talking about. You can also join the WCA there, which gives you access to a lot of the mailings that are going out. And as we get into 2021, as we learn more about when General Conference will happen, it will happen at some point, uh, we will learn a little bit more about uh, what's going on. So this is a great time for you to get on board and to learn more about what's taking place. We also want to remind you to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform that does help drive traffic spread the word about holy conversations these conversations are going to become even more important as we move toward the creation of the new denomination you can also follow us on twitter at wca pod that's as far as we've gotten with social media i know callie that probably leaves us really out of the of the loop with most people because facebook is now for old people correct yes you don't have a tiktok for the wca we don't have a tiktok i, I don't imagine people want to see Me TikTokking, Stephanie. Perhaps (laughs) certainly not the bald, grizzled old man who's trying to grow. The kind you could be
1: TikTok famous. (laughs) TikTok
0: famous, yeah. With my increasingly Civil War general type of beard (laughs) that's gray and old. So yeah, we're not probably not there yet. But if you have suggestions about how we could effectively use TikTok, uh, we would certainly take those into consideration. Um, I, I don't even know how to use that. I'm just, it's quickly, I have two. I have one young adult who's living in Chicago, one of my kids, and then one's a senior in college. They have far surpassed me, and they don't, they're not on any of the social media that I'm on. And they don't, they don't even care. Like they left that in the dust years ago, <laughs> or what feels like years ago. So, <laughs> but we are on Twitter at WCA pod. If you, feel so inclined. If you're an older person who wants to follow us on Twitter, you can do that there. And we'll see what else we can do down the road. We look forward to talking to you more as we get into more of our task force reports on Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Thank you to my co-host, Stephanie Greenwald, who always does a great job. And we look forward to seeing you back here in a couple of weeks with a new task force report. We'll see you then.